again with Mercy, Mercy Me at uh, 16 minutes after 11. A-teamers, hey, we're about to get into the closet with a Dr. Anthony Smith, who's a family physician and a sexologist. We're talking female sexual dysfunction. This part of the program is not suitable for sensitive listeners and for anyone under the age of 18. Note that the views expressed on this show are not that of the station or the presenter. It's time for the Closet Conversation. Uh, let's welcome Dr. Anthony Smith. Thank you very much for joining us, Dr. Smith. Pleasure. How lovely to be with you again tonight. It's a great pleasure having you with us uh, this evening. But because uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a woman, I'm going to be a bit shy on this one. Do a lot of women <laughs> suffer from sexual dysfunction? Because we always speak sexual dysfunction and think men. Yes. Well... Sexual dysfunction as a broad category is incredibly common in women as a whole. They have a slightly different profile to the groups of and the problems that, that men experience, but overall they are very, very common. So we talked about men previously, and we've spoken about erectile dysfunction and premature ejaculation as being the main problems of men. But in women, the two conditions which we see the most are problems of desire, desire disorders with low um, or absent uh, libido, uh, uh, absent desire, and then a, a very prominent uh, sexual dysfunction found in, in women. Perhaps three to twenty-five percent of the population of the population is called genitopelvic pain or penetration disorder. Your uh, viewers may, or your listeners may, have previously heard of the word vaginismus, which still is used often by doctors. It's a slightly outmoded word at the moment, so. We don't use it in our classification system, but it really means that there's pain or discomfort, burning, and um, a difficulty in allowing penetration because of pain. Um, and this then ends up um, causing difficulties and anxiety at the, even the thought of penetration. So that's one particular common and really difficult um, issue which, which women really, really struggle with and can often be quite complex to, to treat, and then the other common one is, um, is before, that of, of hyperactive desire another, disorder. Yeah, before we go to another one, let's talk about this uh, vaginal pain, vagismus. Am I saying it right, Doc? <laughs> Vaginimismus, it's, it's a difficult word. How do I say it? <laughs> oh, um, okay, so which these, these, the, there's two. I mean, we talked about vaginismus, and as I mentioned, yeah. we don't use that anymore, but the the, the correct terminology is genitopelvic pain or penetration disorder. So what the words are, are referring to there is that it's pain which can occur really anywhere around the pelvis, whether it be the vagina um, or uh, the, 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 anywhere in the pelvis leading to penetration, which would, by virtue of the pain, prevent penetration or cause clenching and increased tension of the pelvic floor such that penetration couldn't occur. Um, so it's, it's, it's multifactorial in its origin, there's many causes potentially, um, and there's also many different ways of treating it. But I think just to start in the beginning, you can right. imagine that this is... Uh, Doc, this is before an... we go to the beginning, just hold sure. the thought for us. Uh, let's go to a quick break because I want to take notes and I'm sure our A-teamers are taking notes as well because we want to know as much as you say, there's so many places it can originate from, but the treatment 
at least there's something that can help us. That's what we want to get to. It's 20 minutes after 11.18 as we're in conversation with Dr. Anthony Smith talking female sexual dysfunction. And it's quite interesting because pen and paper is in hand and I want to learn since I'm a female. And I'm sure our female A-teamers and our male A-teamers are quite intrigued by our topic. 011-714-2006 is the number to dial to interact or ask your questions or WhatsApp 0614-104107. Late Night Conversations with Patricia Anduli, Monday to Thursday, 10 p.m. till midnight. Closet Conversations. We are in the closet having a conversation with Dr. Anthony Smith, uh, talking female sexual dysfunction. Dr. Smith, uh, before the break, you were explaining to us about this vaginal pain that sometimes prevents a penetration. Even at the thought of penetration, the pain just starts pounding. So you said there are many origins from it, and you were educating us more about some of the treatments. Certainly, Patricia. So I think I'd like to first distinguish between the kinds of pelvic pain that you would get, which wouldn't necessarily fall under this heading, because you can have a number of different pain syndromes which still do allow penetration and which don't stop the the act of sex, even though it may be a little bit uncomfortable. So there are many, many reasons for why you can get this kind of pain, um, and it depends often on what part, how old you are, and whether you're pre or post or perimenopausal. And, and so any type of infection, inflammation, any kind of trauma, um, there's, there's many different reasons for why one can just be a little bit uncomfortable. But what I'm really talking about when I'm, when I'm using the term genitopelvic pain for penetration disorder is when it's reached that severity where penetration can't occur. So stepping back a little bit, it seems that there's usually some kind of initiating event which has caused the type of pain which has then crept into the entire nervous system and then situated itself within the pelvis. So let's give an example. Just say a woman has had a normal sexual experience. She's become pregnant. She's had a baby. She has it through natural birth, but she has then an episiotomy during um, just after the baby, just at the point of the baby's delivery. And for your listeners who are not sure what that is, it's a a cut made at the entry point um, of the the vagina where uh, the baby would be be delivered from if it happens to be too tight and there's difficulty in getting the baby out. So this episiotomy is really then, it heals up with a scar and and a disruption to the nerves which are in the tissue at that particular point. And this pain which results from this episiotomy, then is it continues and, and, and continues to have an effect on the tissues around it, including the pelvic floor muscles. And if you imagine, the pelvic floor muscles are like a hammock, which are at the bottom, at the floor, and it holds within it the entry into the, the uterus and the cervix and the uterus. It also holds the bladder, and it also holds the rectum. So it's this muscular scaffolding which causes the exit and entry points, you could say, of all the major uh, biological systems that, um, that, that occur at, at that particular point. Now, this level of spasm and pain then causes an involuntary response of clenching, um, reflexive, further pain, and then this pain causes a, a, a reflex of anxiety and phobia whenever sexual activity is approached. So 
from, from a cause point of view, there are many different kinds of causes, it's not just an episiotomy. It could be recurrent urinary tract infections, some kind of sexual trauma, which is more of a psychological potentially, or a physical problem. Um, it could be recurrent um, vaginal infections, um, or it could just be a purely psychological issue, such as anxiety associated with sexuality um, and with sexual activity. So there's a whole number of different kinds of causes, and it's, it's as if the, the, the pain starts to live inside the pelvis and becomes dissociated from the person. They don't have a control over it. And obviously, what, what, and we discussed this before, that when there's a problem with uh, sexual function, the, the most common response to it is to withdraw and to build up a level of anxiety and to avoid further sexual function. So there's often the cycle of things getting worse and worse, Anxiety creeps up, phobia creeps up, um, a certain amount of anger and resentment within the relationship, and it really can be an awful vicious spiral, um, which can cause many, many different problems and a lot of silent suffering, because women who suffer from this often feel that there's nothing that can be done about it. They don't realize that, in fact, there are many treatments and that there are doctors, specialists, not only doctors, there's a number of specialists who work together in a team to be able to deal with this kind of problem. So it's a, it's a commoner problem than you would imagine, and often is a very shameful thing that women carry with them, because of course the root of your of your often people's self-esteem lies in the capacity to have sex, and this can become a, a silent burden which is carried by many women until such time as maybe they're forced to go and seek help. Sometimes um, the, the the fact that they haven't been able to consummate their marriages and it's reaching the point where there's an embarrassment of them not being pregnant, not falling pregnant, forces couples to go and then seek help for this kind of thing. So you can hear that this is very complex. It can occur at different times of your life. There's different kinds of causes. And it can be something that a woman will experience from the time she's sexually active or it can occur intermittently or it can occur just on one particular occasion when there's um, a particular traumatic association with sexual activity at that time. So, Patricia, a really complex problem. It is very, very complex. Um, is there a way of avoiding it, though? Uh, sorry, I didn't catch Is that. there a way of avoiding it for, for women, uh, perhaps at a certain age or by eating or doing certain things? Or does it just come on without us knowing? Well, it's, it's very, very difficult Um because there probably are some ways, some, some people who are less likely to get it, but nobody is really spared. Um, it, it is, uh, and you know, for me to say that you can definitely avoid it is to implicate those who have it as having not done something to, to help themselves from uh, preventing to, to, to have got it. And that's really unfair on them because this happens really you know, in a very unwanted way and in an unprecipitated type of way. But broadly speaking, if you were to say, how do you avoid having this kind of problem with sex? Well, it starts in the mind, in your attitude towards sex, because there's no doubt that those who are um, more embracing and open to the concept of pleasure and the ability to be able to relax into the sexual experience and also are more flexible in their personalities and their capacity to absorb various challenges which may impinge on their sexuality are less likely to have sexual dysfunctions. And that really stands for men and women across the board for all kinds of sexual dysfunctions. So um, that's on the one hand. But of course, if you've had a particularly nasty experience or a bad physical problem in your genitals, 
this kind of thing can still occur involuntarily. Now, it does seem to be the case that women who have high resting levels of anxiety or tend to somatize, by which I mean that they often express their anxiety in other forms of bodily discomfort, be it, say, irritable bowel syndrome or chronic headaches, may have a slightly increased chance of manifesting this under certain conditions. But you know, once again, it comes down to so many different aspects of health in, uh, in one's sexuality that um, regular, regular sex, regular um, good, relaxed sex, where you have a healthy relationship to your body, and by which I mean a relationship whereby you accept all the imperfections and the difficulties that a human body presents, um, and that you have realistic expectations of what your body can do, and also that you on some level embrace the concept of pleasure. Um, because there are many, many of us, many people in the world for whom pleasure is a difficult concept, even though they may understand it intellectually, to embrace it with their bodies is really a much more challenging type of thing. And um, there are so many social um, restrictions and, and reasons out there for why um, sexual pleasure is, um, is not validated, is criticized. And there's many women out there who embrace pleasure who are stigmatized within society. So um, so this is quite a wide-ranging response to your, to your question about how to, to prevent this particular problem. But, but really, it's across the board. It's healthy mind, healthy body, and um, really being able to approach your sexuality with, um, with a, an extremely open um, and flexible mind. And I like the fact that you spoke about uh, some of us as human beings not being able to fully immerse ourselves in pleasure and sexual pleasure, that is. And sometimes uh, that could be caused by past experiences and so on and so forth. Could these past experiences also be one of the causes for women to have this uh, extreme pain in their pelvic uh, area? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I think as you're speaking, you're getting a sense of the complexity of all of it. Mm. Because if you have, just say you're somebody who's had some specific kind of pain in arising out of your genitals. Let's call it from maybe, maybe from a recurrent yeast infection that you've got. But at the same time, in your mind, you come from a very, maybe let's just talk about a very conservative community where, where sexuality is not spoken about very easily and there's a lot of shame associated with sexual activity. Um, and maybe you are somebody who has a particular set of sexual desires which may not in your own mind conform to a social norm uh, which you have in your mind. Or maybe it's just the case that the way that you think about sexuality is one um, which isn't informed so much by pleasure, but by duty. Uh, and as a result, you carry within your nervous system a very tight, very conditional type of way of thinking about how your body should work. And this kind of way of thinking about things, which is really a more, um, it's a really a more narrow band around which your body works and is more easily um, affected by adverse challenges like, you know, some pain or infection. Um, and then when that comes along, the, 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 the social restrictions, the individual psychological restrictions, the cultural restrictions, all of these things which surround us then clamp in. And it's a very appropriate that um, the core of a pain or penetration disorder is that there's a clenching. There's a tightness and a closing down as if, you know, this, this pelvis is just not going to allow 
um, penetration into it. It's decided, no, it's like putting a hand up and saying, stop, I'm not going any further. It's protecting itself on lots and lots of different levels. So you could see this condition as being a condition of the pelvis, which is just saying, I can't take this anymore. I'm going to protect myself. Um, I'm just really not going to have any kind of sexual activity because it's too dangerous, too painful, um, too intrusive. A-teamers, uh, perhaps you've got some questions around female sexual dysfunctions or you might be facing a partner that has a sexual dysfunction. Please do call in and ask your questions on 011-714-2006 or you can WhatsApp 614 SMSs go to 41391. Doc, uh, there are other sexual uh, dysfunctions that women suffer from. We've gone through the vaginal pain that can be extreme and... Uh, I think quite daunting, but there's this vaginal dryness. This is mm. something that I, I can't grasp because on the one yeah. hand, I've heard of A-teamers, men, calling in to say when the vagina is too wet, it's not okay. So women end up doing certain things and using remedies to not be wet. Yeah. And I don't understand what that means. But when vaginal dryness becomes a, a sexual dysfunction, how bad is this? Well, it can be a real problem, but what you just said is incredibly interesting. I think just to take a step back and talk about this, you know, this concept, concept and idea of vaginal dryness and, and wetness. Um, and you know, as a as a younger person, um, you know, if you are having a, a, a dry vagina, it could very well be the fact that you're just insufficiently lubricated and maybe insufficiently stimulated. And this is one of the major, very obvious reasons for why there's pain in younger women on penetration when there just isn't enough lubrication. Um, and that's because maybe of some degree of inexperience with a couple um, or just that the mode of how they are having sex is such that the woman isn't being stimulated enough. And so as a result, they, you know, they have um, a, a painful, non-pleasurable experience because of dryness. Um, but you, you, you picked up something interesting about certain cultures where um, where dryness is actually prioritized over wetness. Um, and this is, even though it's actually more uncomfortable, both for the man and the woman. And in some respects, the reason for this is because wetness is associated with um, promiscuity and being a loose woman, and it's got a negative connotation to it because the wetness is associated with actually abundance and of you know a lot of sexuality in women who are much more free. So there's this interesting conception whereby a dry vagina is more associated with a kind of a conservative view of a woman who's not particularly sexual and therefore doesn't, you could you could argue, um, present a threat to the patriarchy. Whereas um, a, a wet, you know, a very, very wet vagina is one where the woman is much more liberated and has a greater capacity to experience pleasure. And then there's a cultural, quite conservative view which is placed on this and this leads women sometimes to artificially dry out their vaginas in order to fulfill the social norm to a greater degree so that's in younger people and that's a culturally salient um, perspective but much more commonly is older perimenopausal or postmenopausal women who are experiencing dry vagina because as their estrogen levels decrease in their bodies and in fact diminish altogether um, one of the most common reasons the common um, results of that is what we call vaginal atrophy. 
the tissue of the vagina becomes less um, able to lubricate, to self-lubricate, to, 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 to swell up and to, uh, to um, accommodate the penis in a way whereby sex is more pleasurable. And because it's drier, it's more likely to be abraded um, and to be, um, to be hurt during sexual activity. And this is often a, um, a problem that older women face and may even cause them to stop having sex altogether. But you know, as we've mentioned before, and we still, I think, are going to talk about this, is that there are many very good treatments for all these problems that we've been talking about. And this post-menopause or vaginal dryness or atrophy is an imminently treatable condition, um, which is amenable to a number of different approaches. And I'm sure for those women who are postmenopausal and have a very dry vaginas at that time, sex should be painful and uncomfortable for both them and their partners. So the first thing they'd want is to seek for medical help and treatment. So maybe let's go into the treatment options that a woman has at that point. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And it's often associated with a variety of other simultaneous problems that are occurring at the same time. So if you are a woman in your early 50s um, and you are now not menstruating or menstruating less, you're finding that you're experiencing vaginal dryness, you may also be getting a little bit of um, an overactive bladder. Because of the dryness of the vagina, often there's a secondary reflex um, effect on the bladder which makes it a little bit more sensitive and uh, has a tendency to want to empty itself a little bit quicker. So once again, you then need to go to the toilet or you become more aware of your genital area, not as an area where you experience pleasure, but an, but an area where you experience discomfort. At the same time, you may be getting hot flashes, you may not be sleeping very well, and you may be going through some of the fatigue and the psychological issues that accompany a change of life. And all of these go towards um, diminishing yourself, your sense of self-esteem all together, which form this a perfect storm of uh, diminished confidence in yourself as a sexual person, which has then negative repercussions on your sexuality. And I'm just hearing, and as I'm speaking about all of this, Patricia, how awful it all may sound, but you know, I say this with, with a view towards knowing that there are really excellent approaches to being able to help these set of problems. Now, here's a message from an A-teamer. <laughs> uh, it says, Doc, some men have a big manhood. Can it cause pain to a woman? So, so um, that's a very good question um, because there's no doubt that at the larger end of the spectrum, in men who have particularly large erect penises, these are uncomfortable for women with average-sized vaginas. The vagina during sexual activity and if it's sufficiently aroused will swell up to accommodate quite a, um, quite a large um, sized uh, penis but by the same token if it's, if it's very very large uh, and then it, it then depends on the size of the woman and and what the corresponding size is so it really depends on the fit but it can be uncomfortable and or it may just not be as enjoyable because the fit isn't right and of course you know, the fit, um, that, that's anything. You can, you know, even non-sexual activity, dancing, for example, is more awkward when there's an extremely tall man and a very short woman. But it doesn't necessarily need to be the case. People often accommodate and will find ways to get past their differences by virtue of the um, intimate connection that they have. 
Okay, that answers the question. Now, another sexual dysfunction, Doc, that I've always been um, intrigued by is the inability of some women to reach orgasm. Yes, yes. So so that is also um, relatively common, not necessarily causing as much distress as the others that we've discussed, but it still can do. Now, there's a large percentage, um, and I'm thinking really between 25, 30, 35% of women never actually experience an orgasm throughout their lives. It's very common never to have actually experienced an orgasm. Um, and then there's others who, 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 who have been able to and then lose their capacity or just don't um, reach the capacity to, to, to have an orgasm. And the most common reason for not being able to reach orgasm um, I think it's important to distinguish those who've had the capacity before and then have lost it, or those who have never, ever had the capacity. Um, but across the board, it really is often just a lack of knowledge of one's own anatomy and a knowledge also of how to be able to be stimulated in the way which leads to um, a, a sufficient level of, of arousal which can lead to orgasm. And um, one of the most common treatments and ways of being able to address this is to introduce women to their own anatomy. And you'd be surprised how many just really have no idea how things work down there. Um, and how to be able to introduce them to the whole idea of how to uh, be stimulated in the correct way. And there's many women who've never masturbated, for example. So masturbation at a younger age often is the best possible way to be able to find out how your own sexual rhythms work and how you're able to be able to uh, teach your partner the correct ways in which to stimulate you so that you can reach that kind of orgasm. So often it's just a question of being able to put things together in the right way. And maybe it's not as easy as I make it sound because you know, many women, men um, are quite inhibited about these types of things and feel that they feel that masturbation isn't the right thing to be doing or that they feel that using a vibrator to be able to stimulate yourself, to be able to find ways in which your body responds um, is really also something that you shouldn't do, especially if you're in a relationship. So once again, we get back to social norms. Social norms will stop people and their individual psychological characteristics will also stop them from taking the kinds of routes of experimentation um, to, to find out what it is that is truly stimulating to them. But sometimes it's just the fact that they haven't come across um, the correct uh, thought patterns, fantasies, the sexual imprinting that they have, which would unlock their capacity to experience the greatest amount of pleasure. Um, so that, those are very, very common causes. But then there's also very straightforward physical causes. We talked about pain before. Um, we've talked about lack of desire. And those are both conditions which ultimately lead to the incapacity to have orgasm because if you aren't able to relax sufficiently during sex, you can't get to that point where you can reach that climax <clears throat> that then allows you to have an orgasm. So if you are very tense, if you're very anxious, if you're very worried, um, if you're in pain, um, if you aren't attracted to the person you're having sex with, if you think you're doing it out of uh, duty rather than out of pleasure, these are all reasons for why uh, it can be extremely challenging to, to reach orgasm. So, as you can, once again, it's a, a whole nest of different kinds of reasons and backgrounds and histories which come to play in these sexual dysfunctions. 
Doc, here's a question here from Farai. Farai says, firstly, I'm one man who relishes in a wet, well-lubricated vagina. Secondly, I'd like to ask the doc if the vaginal spasms my wife had the first time I penetrated her were a sign of vagismus or um, she hasn't had a recurrence of it since then. So what was that, doc? So just repeat that for me. What was so it he's asking saying? if the vaginal spasms that his wife had the first time he penetrated her were a sign okay. of a just nice misses. I can't say this word for the life of me. Or um, <laughs> since she, she hasn't had them ever since. So is it a sign of something uh, that's not right? Because she's never had oh, it. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. No, that's, that's interesting. So that, that term vaginismus is the old-fashioned term for what um, we now call in genital pelvic pain or penetration disorder. And um, it's the term which is talking about um, a spasm or a kind of a clenching of the pelvic muscles, which um, would occur involuntarily to usually prevent penetration. So I don't think this is that problem. This isn't actually uh, vaginismus. Firstly, it does seem that the caller was able to penetrate. And I would have to say that the very first time you're having sex, there's with a partner, it's a new partner, it's a new experience with them, you can totally understand how the, the nervous system is trying to accommodate and trying to understand this new experience. And so there may have been a little bit of increased tone in the pelvis, and that may be what he was experiencing. But really you need an enduring problem that is continuing over a period of time, accompanied by distress, pain, and difficulty in penetration for this to be the kind of disorder that we're talking about. All right. And uh, Doc, now that we've spoken about uh, women who are not able to reach orgasm, uh, what sort of things uh, can they use? Are there medical or non-medical interventions that women can use to aid them in reaching orgasm? So the, 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 the approach really to start off with, um, because there's no clean, clear, um, easy fix for this problem. So the, the, the very, very first thing is about relaxation. So that woman has to, who's experiencing this problem, must reflect on the degree to which she is tense, protecting herself, anxious, or just not in an ability to be able to open herself up to the kind of pleasure and um, uh, enjoyment of the body which is conducive to reaching an orgasm. So first of all, don't have sex in a rushed environment. Don't have it in, a, in an environment where you aren't feeling adequately stimulated. Make sure that you're adequately stimulated uh, by your partner prior to the expectation of having an orgasm. And the, the, other, the other trick, really, is to masturbate. To masturbate, and if you need be, use, um, use a vibrator or some kind of aid which can help to stimulate the right parts of the body. And for many women, they need direct clitoral stimulation. Um, there's this kind of old-fashioned um, idea that you get different kinds of orgasms, um, vaginal orgasms and um, uh, clitoral orgasms. Um, and it is the case that some women are stimulated very easily um, and there's a minimum amount of touch allows them to, to reach um, a point of climax quite easily. But there's many others who need um, a particular kind of touch or they need direct clitoral stimulation and one needs to reach the point where you know how to be stimulated to enjoy that. And then we've talked about different kinds of problems that you can have. So if you are um, experiencing any kind of infection or you're having a concurrent problem or you're constipated or you are having some kind of other 
um, concurrent medical issue. Maybe you're under treatment for some kind of chronic illness. Um, these are all problems which would have to be looked at and addressed and which can also um, make it hard to, to reach an orgasm. And the most important thing to, which stops women from having an orgasm is the, the concurrent use of various medications. And really the big ones here are antidepressants. Antidepressant medications can cause all kinds of difficulties with all the phases of the sexual response cycle, be it um, your libido, um, be it uh, the capacity to reach an orgasm, be it the capacity to just kind of experience pleasure during sex. And then for men also, there's a whole variety of problems that antidepressants will bring. There are some antidepressants which don't affect sexuality or sexual function. And if you are somebody who is experiencing problems with sexual dysfunction and you're on an antidepressant, you must speak to your doctor to be able to uh, maybe choose a slightly different medication that you can use. And then, um, Patricia, there's you know, all the other various problems, your blood pressure, you know, whether there's an endocrine or hormonal problem. Maybe you have the, you're lacking in testosterone, and um, older women often have very little testosterone. And while it's a little bit controversial, there are situations in which a bit of testosterone can be used to augment libido, which then in turn will allow one to reach orgasm more easily. So you can see it's a whole variety of psychological uh, partner-orientated, situational, and medical issues which are brought to bear, um, which are necessary to, um, to help facilitate um, orgasms. But a specific tablet, well, there really isn't a specific medication which can cause you to have an orgasm. And I think the message really has to be very clear that this isn't something which you can just press on with a button, that you just slip a tablet, that you can just, you know, at the flick of a switch, and turn on an orgasm. It, it really isn't as, as easy as that. Well, if it's not as easy as that and it needs a lot of work, ladies and gentlemen, let's put in the good work. Let's go to a voice note. <laughs> Hello, Timas and my uh, dog. I've got a question here. My wife, uh, we have uh, three children. First two, we got them with the cesarean. And uh, the third one, uh, she gave natural birth. So now my wife is always crying. We haven't enjoyed sex, sex, sex since then. Because my wife is saying she's feeling pain. When we're doing sex, she's feeling pain. And this thing is troubling us. Because when she was giving birth, uh, they stitched her. So we don't know that they overstitched her or what, we don't know. But now she's once, whenever we do sex, she'll feeling pains and uh, she'll have some cracks. She'll have some cracks. Shows that maybe they overstitched her because my men would usually have fun and good sex before. But since she gave the last one, through natural birth, hey, we're having a problem. We haven't enjoyed sex anymore. We haven't. So try to enter the doctor. Doctor gave him some, gave him some medicine, but hey, those medicines are not working. So I don't know what's the problem because sometimes we do foreplay, 
and she is feeling like uh, some piercing pains in his private part. Shoot, Doc. Um, um, did you hear that voice note? Sure, you know, I didn't really hear that very clearly. Maybe you can summarize for me. So his wife has uh, had um, uh, natural birth. The previous births were cesarean. And after the natural birth, the vagina is constantly having pains. And uh, they're struggling. They're really struggling to be intimate. Yeah. They've gone to doctors. They've received medication. But nothing has worked. Sure. You know, this is a typical kind of problem. It really pertains to what we spoke about you know, earlier when we started our conversation about the extremes of this genital pelvic pain penetration syndrome, which starts off with some kind of initial trauma. And then that trauma and that pain, it like sits there um, in, in the pelvis and just continues to be a niggling ongoing problem. It becomes almost automatic. And then it has a secondary impact on um, causing difficulty in sex, difficulty in penetration, um, anxiety around the prospect of sexual activity, um, a lot of unhappiness, resentment, and anger, and frustration. So it does sound like this is a cycle that our caller is experiencing and finding himself in. So I think it is important to look at what are the ways in which this kind of problem can be treated. And it's often the case that, um, that somebody suffering like this will go to a doctor who really doesn't know what to do with this problem. And there are you know, a number of doctors and, and, and uh, psychologists and physiotherapists in particular who specialize in being able to help with this kind of problem. And it really is a, a stepwise progress um, in general that requires sometimes different kinds of practitioners to help you. We call it a multidisciplinary team when there's complex problems of pelvic pain because each member of the team has a unique ability to be able to contribute something. So one member of the team is a gynecologist. One would need to have a look-see that there isn't any particular kind of problem that exists there at the moment which could be making or worsening the pain? Is there infection? Is there a problem with the anatomy? Um, is there some kind of issue which can be amenable to some type of treatment? And that's quite important. Sometimes you get chronic infection or chronic inflammation, and that can be treated and can help a little bit. But really the key and the central part of this problem is the clenching and the muscular um, the kind of increased tone of the, of the pelvic floor. And it's by finding ways of slowly relaxing the pelvic floor um, to, and, and to allow pleasure to introduce itself back into the body because a woman who's experiencing this condition is really experiencing pain. Their body is like cringing every time touch occurs. So from the very beginning, I would advise this caller and his wife to start with pleasurable experiences which are not necessarily sexual. It could be massage, it could be touch, it could be any number of things which is just very, very relaxing. And that woman would need to really be able to learn how to relax and trust that her body isn't going to be extremely painful when they have any form of sexual activity and it doesn't have to be penetration. It can also be use of fingers or use of maybe a vibrator as an accessory um, and as a beginning point prior to penetration. And it's often the case with a physiotherapist who specializes in pelvic floor work can be incredibly helpful to help to settle the muscles. So my advice is to this gentleman, if you can find a specialized pelvic floor physiotherapist to help with therapy, this may be also very useful. The other member of the team that can sometimes be useful is a therapist, a psychologist, because sometimes there are associations and there are worries and concerns and social issues 
and problems of self-esteem and maybe even in the background some degree of um, sexual trauma that has occurred, which needs to be thought about and spoken about. And sometimes just getting that out into the open can be very helpful in reducing tension in the air. But overall, this caller and his wife must continue to keep up hope. They must continue to be sexual with each other, even if they can't do direct penetration at particular times. And uh, really keep up the intimacy and be very forgiving and allowing of each other under these circumstances, which can often be very challenging. Um, So I certainly feel for this caller whose difficulty is very clear in the way that he articulated his question. Doc, you know, I wish we had more time to go through all the female uh, sexual dysfunctions, but time is not on our side. I'm going to ask you to please give us contact details for our A-teamers who who might need your help right now with uh, sexual dysfunction, whether male or female. Certainly. Well, you can certainly um, contact me via my uh, my website at dranthonysmith.ca.za. Um, and yes, I would uh, I would that that would be a, a good way of getting hold of me. With all my information is there. Excellent, uh, Dr. Smith. Thank you so very much for joining us. Always such a great pleasure. Such a pleasure from my side, Patricia. Thank you. A-teamers, it's time for us to head on home. Our week is done. We'll be back again on Monday uh, for another week of the Late Night Conversation, God willing. Uh, But enjoy your weekend. Be safe and do the right thing. Wake up at 3 a.m. to listen to Asanda Better giving you sound awake. That's a great way to start your Friday. From us, may the goodness and grace lead you to the great heights of success.